630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Here's the staff to Riley's. He drops back. Blue Chiefs looking for Everly. He's throwing. Going to the end zone. Now McDavid walks in right circle. Back to Everly. Touchdown, Eskimo. One-timer score. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. How you doing tonight? Let's dive right in. Very special guest to kick off the show tonight. I'm pleased to welcome back to Inside Sports, the general manager of your Edmonton Eskimos. It is Ed Hervey. Ed, you're on with Reed. How have you been, sir? I've been well. How are you doing, Reed? It's do- I'm doing very well. It's great to catch up with you. I know you've had a very busy couple days, so thanks for fitting uh, 6.30, Chad, into your uh, schedule here. Uh, two, uh, just in general, how, how would you describe these first two days of uh, a free agency? I know you're mostly focused uh, on, on your own team, but, uh, you, you know, four guys, uh, four guys at it. Are you generally happy? Uh, yeah, I mean, when we talk about um, you know the free agency and the market and and you know all those different things. We we, could, we tend to focus on our needs. And when we when we finished the season last year, uh, you know we talked about our needs. And you know I have a, a habit of writing down everything while it's fresh. So we said, okay, here are the positions that we or the areas that we see our concerns. Go all, you know, take the holidays off, you come back, and then you ask yourself the same questions and ask the same questions to everyone. Do we still feel the same way about these after watching the film over the holidays? And we felt like it was areas. So, you know, we pinpointed the people that we wanted to, uh, you know, to, to sign. It wasn't a massive list of guys that we, that we wanted to go out and get, but, uh, as we said, we wanted to get our, our guys signed as, much, as quickly as possible. And then when we got to free agency day, um, you know, we try to pinpoint those areas that um, of concern, and uh, I think we were able to do that. Ed, one position set that uh, I-, I talked a lot about with fans on this show last year, and I continue to got to get asked about during the off season was the secondary. I know you told Morley and the other media during your availability yesterday that you, you, you thought you were probably done when it came to the secondary. Do I do I read into that that you're 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 pretty confident in some of the, the newer Eskimos like Tyler Thornton and Gary Peters are, are ready to, to step in and, and start this season? Am I interpreting that correctly? Yeah, uh, that's how I feel. I mean, yeah, will there be a player or two that comes in? We'll see what our young crop has. But, you know, everyone... You know, who wants to point out the secondary, as I mentioned to Morley yesterday and to the rest of the during my scrum, was a lot of that criticism for those guys was coming early in the season. And I remember being in the offseason around this time last year saying, yeah, we're going to go through some growing pains in the secondary. But, you know, that's what happens when you, when you do a bit of a youth movement in the back end. I mean, we had, a, you know, a couple players leave for other teams, one go to the NFL, and, you know, people forget that those guys were rookies playing too. You know, Aaron Grimes was a rookie when he started, but you know, people only finished. They only remember the finished product, uh, and then they want to compare the next guy to that. So people have to kind of relax a little bit and recognize that young players get their start sometimes, and you know, they get thrown into the fire 
but the defense definitely improved. The defense definitely improved over the year, over the course of the season as we got to the second third, and you started to see that our secondary was able to gel as they were learning a new system. Some were learning not only a new system, but they were learning a new game, and that's just part of it when you have the massive amount of change that we had. But I think we did an excellent job. I mean, considering the fact that we had so much turnover with the unusual set of circumstances that you normally don't have after you win a championship, I think we did pretty damn good, uh, you know, getting through it. And, you know, when we looked at the secondary, we knew it was going to be an area where we were going to have to go young. We did that. They struggled a little bit early, found their footing, and uh, we finished strong with them and we're going to proceed with them. Now, if a guy or two comes through here in the next couple of days, there may be some, some option for that. But if nothing comes you know, to fruition from that standpoint, we're, we're quite okay with the group that we have going into next year. Ed, I'm going to ask you a question here, and I have a feeling I might make you laugh a bit when I ask it, but but I think you'll understand why why I'm asking it. And it's about Kendall Lawrence, who you welcomed back yesterday what position is Kendall Lawrence at? <laughs> Was he going to play? Yeah. yeah. Well, how do you or how do you see him position wise? Well, I mean, we, we brought him back for the to be the punt returner first. Okay. Foremost, you know, he's going to punt return and kick return for us. That's an area that we felt, uh, you know, we needed to improve. Uh, Kendall is someone that we know and are familiar with. At least myself, um, Jason, and, and the staff uh, know him by from going against him but also recognize that he's a talent and, you know, Jay, and it feels that within the offense, he can utilize him probably better. He's been utilized, you know, in his, in, his, in his time in this league and just do some things that allow him to showcase his abilities, um, you know, much like he did in his first year, but just quite differently, but also recognize that this is a veteran player who understands the league, understands he's got three years under his belt. And we, we truly believe that um, he will give our, return game a boost so yeah he's going to be a run returner but also he's the tail you know as he plays running back that's his natural position so he gives us that flexibility of now having instead of having our running back on the reserve like uh, bell was last year our running back will be on the roster but he'll be returning punts and kicks and in the event of a situation where john gets nicked up in the game our running back is on the roster and able to finish a game for us yeah. Okay. Lots. Lots. Of, and I think fans are excited to see him back, returning kicks for sure. You signed Alexander Dupuis as a fullback yesterday, six three, uh, around two hundred and forty five pounds, big guy. I, I know it's ultimately going to be up to uh, to Jason and Carson to decide how he's used in the offense. I, I guess I want to ask you maybe more of a uh, a general question about the fullback position, Ed, because you know I can remember reading articles as far back as the mid nineties where both sides of the border. Well, the fullback position is going to be phased out. You don't need that blocker. They're using so many receivers yet every team still wants that, that fullback around and, and it, it's still a very uh, necessary and useful position. How, how do you just see that that fullback slot in general as football has continued to evolve here? Well, the, full, the fullback position adds a level of physicality and a presence to the run game because they have the ability to not only block help block defensive ends and, and chip and do those things, but they also can get to the second level and, and sustain blocks on linebackers. So, yeah, we we want to be more physical in our run game this year, and this is a position that um, even going back to last year was a, 
a priority for us. And uh, as far as the position being phased out, it's only phased out by those who don't want to run the ball and don't want to be physical. We're we're a team that wants to run the ball and be physical, and we you know we feel and Jason and speaking with Jason uh, over these last couple of years, it was imperative that we were able to get a big physical fullback, someone that can uh, you know help set the edge for us when we need to run the ball, and also you know we we feel like our running game is one of the tops in the league, and we just want to help improve that. And we felt that uh, uh, Dupuy was was able to do that, and Jay had also coached him and had a chance to you know know him a little bit from his time in Toronto. So we feel like it was an ideal fit for us and what we want to do in the run game. Ed, just one more for you, and I and I know in your availability yesterday you used the phrase that the new guys have to embrace the community. I, I know you and I kind of have this discussion almost uh, annually, or even sometimes when we'll just uh, when I'm able to visit at practice or whatever, but. Um, if I know for you, being an Eskimo is important, and, and also being an Edmontonian is very important. How do you make sure a guy embraces the community, and, and who takes the leadership, maybe, um, you know, to make sure a, a guy new to Edmonton and new to the Eskimos does do the embracing? Well, it's it's a cultural thing, Reed. Um, when we talk to the players about Edmonton, you know, we have great veteran leadership in our locker room. And they make it clear uh, to new players about the importance of our fans and our community. And if you sign up to play with it, with Edmonton, and, and it's something that we talk to them about even before they get here, and while they you know, while we're discussing it with them, for well, the opportunities to come into Edmonton, about how different it is here than any other place that they have played or will play. And so it's, it's a it's a it's a community wide. Um, um, discussion in our in our organization from the football side to have the players understand how important it is to embrace Edmonton. Understand that you know here these are things that we do. We go to Monday Morning Magic, you know when we when we're in town and when we can. And it's not you know we say it's a, it's mandatory and required that we do this because this is one of the events that we we do. But there's more to this community than just this football team, and have you have to understand it if you're going to play for the Edmonton Eskimos. You have to buy into that. And then you, you typically, you know, we don't have issues with guys. We try to go get high-character guys, so we don't have those issues. But every now and then, if you don't, you see a guy who's not buying in and he's not fully, you know, he's not in it all the way or fully, we have a conversation with him. And, you know, those, you know usually it changes quickly or you know, we just kind of, you know, part ways. But um big thing for me is that when you come to Edmonton, just understand you're coming here. Um, yeah, football first, but also understand that the community and being a part of it is a, is a very close second as far as responsibilities as a professional football player in this city. Well, well said. Ed, appreciate your time. Uh, you know, good stuff with the moves over the last couple of days. Uh, also let people know Philip Hunt uh, is back. He had three sacks in eight games this past season, and I like what he brought to the defensive line. Really appreciate it, Ed. I'll see you soon. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you, Reed. That is Edmonton Eskimos general manager Ed Hervey checking in to kick us off on Inside Sports. Really good summary there of uh, his approach with some of the signings uh, and, of course, what he wants players doing when they're not on the field as well. It is 6.17. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on 6.30. Chad. Hey, this is Jordan Everly 
from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. You asked me to be Rick your savior. Ed Herbie on the show tonight and more on what the Eskimos have done in free agency on the Eskimos page on 630Ched.com. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Hey, the Edmonton Oil Kings winning again today. Two in a row, an overtime decision. 3-2 over the Kootenai Ice. That was their hockey hooky game that started at 11.30 in the morning. Colton Keller got the game winner. Trey Fix Wolanski tied it with 3.17 left. They'll try to make it three in a row in Calgary on Friday. All right, an interesting past couple of days with the Montreal Canadiens. Coaching change, new contract for the new coach. And to break some of that down, Habs beat reporter with La Presse. It is Marc-Antoine Godin. Mark, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing very well. I appreciate you taking the time for us after... Uh, well, it must have felt like a crazy couple. I mean, the the the, the fan base. Uh, I don't know. How does the fan base feel about uh, a, a coach basically coming straight from Boston to Montreal to take over? I think they're very comfortable with that move because yeah. you know the because of the imperative of uh, of the language when it comes to the head coach of the Montreal Canadiens. As everybody knows, you you have to be able to speak French to communicate with the majority of the fan base in Quebec and. So that narrows really the the pool of uh, of coaches that 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 can coach that team under you know until that that rule doesn't apply anymore. So when you have a guy like Claude Julien who becomes available, that's a that's an it's it's an upgrade. It's a, it would be an upgrade for for many teams in the league as it is, but for the Canadians it was an opportunity that was uh, too good to pass up. But uh, today, uh, Marc Bergevin said that. Uh, whether or not Claude Julien had been fired, uh, he said that he did not let the Boston Bruins dictate his own uh, his own decisions, and uh, he I think he was about to proceed to a change uh, anyway. Uh, the team has been struggling. It was and it it, it was showing the signs of a, a, a similar trend to last year. Uh, difference is that uh, pretty much everybody was in the lineup, uh, Carey Price included. So uh, even though. Marc Benjamin has been very loyal to his coaches since the, uh, and I include even the the, the staff in the AHL. Um, well, he he decided to pull the trigger, so it's uh, it, it made for a tumultuous uh, couple of days in Montreal, indeed. Uh, you know the Canadians were sixteen four and two on November twenty sixth. I went back and checked yesterday. Since then, fifteen fifteen and six. What was it about their game that had become I don't know if, you know stagnant or that they just became a little more mediocre? What was it about their game that that had allowed them to be just a, you know basically a five hundred team for the last three months? Well, first of all, Carey Price's play has been uh, nowhere near the level that he has uh, accustomed us to. Um, uh, everybody points out to a game in in November where uh, he was pulled uh, against St. Jose Sharks, and he gave a big stare at, at Michel Terrien. And the two of them didn't have, uh, from what I, I can understand, they didn't have that much of a relationship. I mean, everything was going through the goalie coach Stephen Waite, but uh, that stare, I mean, made the the headlines in Montreal, and obviously they they downplayed it at the time. But since then, I mean. Kerry has not been as effective. Uh, he's been he's been mediocre and and bad on some nights. So I think it, it's it all starts from there. When your best player is not is not giving you the proverbial chance to win every night, uh, well, it, there's a you know the, there's a trigger that starts and there's a ripple down effect. So after that, the Canadians had been able to uh, to get the uh, some good secondary scoring early on in the season from guys like uh, Paul Byron and. 
Tori Mitchell and their rookie Arturi Lekkonen. But uh, this uh, dried up, so at some point it was just a matter of uh, one line uh, working very well. And you've got Alex Galchenyuk, uh, who came back from an injury, and he's been very slow to recover and regain his pace from earlier on this season. So all those factors added up. Uh, you've got uh, you, you had a, a coach who had to find some ways to to uh, to right in the ship, and uh, it seemed uh, out of solutions at some point. Mark, I know Claude Julien spoke today. Was there anything that struck you? It is comments in terms of a tone he wants to set with the Canadians or how he wants to get them to play? Yeah, well, in terms of tone, uh, there, there's going to be, I, I think that's where the biggest difference with Michel Therrien is going to be. It's in terms of communication with his players. Um, throughout the years, even though he had toned down a little bit, Michel Therrien has been known to be a head coach that was uh, aggressive with his uh, with his players and uh uh, maybe that he did not call them out as much as he did when he was in Pittsburgh, for instance. But he was not necessarily the uh, a glass half full type of guy. Uh, whereas uh, Claude Julien, even though he's he's probably more uh, heated up when you see him behind the bench, uh, he's a guy who's who's a, a lot better in terms of communicating with his players and, and keeping it loose. Uh, but he's going to be a very rigorous guy, very structured coach uh, when, uh, when, when he's in, in practice and, and during games. So I expect a, guy, a coach who will bring a defensive-minded system. He's obviously always been known for his conservative style, which, is, which won't be necessarily very different from, uh, from Terrier. But he said today, you know, I'm going to tweak some things for now, but if I bring too many things all at once, things, things might fall apart. So uh, right now it's, it's identifying the areas where the, need, the team needs to, be, uh, uh, to, to improve right away, and we'll, we'll bring things along uh, one day at a time. So, uh, but uh, over time, I think that he's going to be a, a puck possession type of, of coach that will nonetheless uh, remain very focused on the defensive side of the puck. And you got a five-year deal, eh? Five years after, like on top of the, what's remaining this year? That's right, five-year wow. deal. So, uh, so it's uh, it's a lengthy deal. It's going to uh, take him to uh, at the end of his of his term to uh, the end of uh, Marc Bergevin's term. So their destiny seems to be tied up from that point on. Um, and according to uh, Pierre LeBron, uh, it's it says that it's five five million a year. So that puts uh, Julien uh, third among the highest paid coaches in the league. Uh, well, and it's interesting. Uh, Babcock in Toronto, McClellan here, and now Julien uh, in uh, in Montreal. Three high-profile coaches all getting uh, long-term deals to help the Canadian clubs. So that's interesting, eh? In the last yeah, uh, 18 months. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mark, thanks for your time. I know you had a busy couple of days. It's always great to have you on 630 Chet. And, uh, well, heck, in about a month, I'll be seeing you. That'll be fun. An eight-game homestand for the Oilers, and the Canadians are here. And who knows if uh, the two teams are partners before that, uh, the trade deadline. Oh, what are you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. you got a tall, lanky center there who seems to have... Uh it seems to be uh, out of favor a little bit. Uh, maybe that the Montreal Canadiens might uh, might use that guy. Nugent Hopkins, eh? Yeah. Well, what would Montreal? We'll see. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's a fit, honestly, for 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 Montreal because it's going to take a lot from uh, for for Marc Bergevin to uh, to trade Mihail Sergachev, and every team's calling for Sergachev. I mean, he's his prized possession, his best prospect. 
And at a time where you, uh, that's true that the window of opportunity for the Canadians is wide open now, and and the core is at its peak right now. That I understand that, but at the same time, yeah, there's a reality called this salary cap. It's not going up next year, and you have to add some team, some some players that are, you know, seven year assets, guys that are entering uh, entry level deals, and Sergeyev fits that mold. So he's, uh, if he's coming in the NHL next year and starts his uh, entry-level uh, contract, well, he's going to be a bargain for a few years. So that that, that in itself is worth a lot. So uh, uh, I don't know if, if there are players uh, on the roster that might interest the uh, the Oilers, but uh, neither you or I are the GM, so it's a bit moot. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of money for the uh, for the Canadians to, to, to take on. And as you know, Nuge isn't having a great offensive season. Hey, thanks for your yeah. time, man. We'll see you again soon, okay? All right, excellent. Thanks for having me. Marc-Antoine Godin from La Presse in Montreal checking in. Yeah, big contract there for Claude Julien from the Montreal Canadiens. We're going to take a quick timeout. We'll check the scores and former Eskimo Adam Braidwood coming up. This is Adarius Bowman from your Edmonton Eskimos. And you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Well, the Toronto Maple Leafs were flying last night with a 7-1 win, but today they're on the wrong end of a beating. Columbus up 4-0 on the Leafs, seven minutes left in the second period. As we check your Crystal Glass scoreboard, for all your glass needs, you can visit crystalglass.ca. The Blues, a 1-0 lead on the Red Wings. That's with about six minutes left in the first period. Later on, the Panthers play the Sharks, and the Flyers are at the Calgary Flames. That one starts in about an hour. Of course, Philly then here tomorrow to face the Edmonton Oilers. The Oilers did not practice today, so they'll have a morning skate tomorrow and then take on the Flyers tomorrow night. We have it for you on 6.30, Chad, 5.30 for the face-off show. The game will start at 7. I'm Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Tom Gilbert, for the former Oilers defenseman, has been traded to Washington by L.A. L.A. gets a conditional fifth-round pick. They will retain 20% of Gilbert's $1.4 million salary. Mentioned the Oil Kings got that 3-2 win in their hockey hooky game in overtime over Kootenai today. Note from CFL free agency, Chad Owens goes to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Uh, interesting Marc-Antoine uh, Godin there uh, stirring the rumor mill, the rumor pot a little bit. Uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins uh, with the... Uh, would the Canadians be interested in him? I mean, look, he put out uh, Mikhail Sergachev. I, I don't think the Canadians do that trade. You got a defenseman who doesn't turn 19 until late June. He's 6'3", 212 pounds, has 34 points in 36 games for Windsor this season. Shoots, uh, he is a left shot. I, I, I don't know if that... I, I think that's a prospect Montreal is going to hang on to. And, and he made a good point. You need to have contributing players on entry-level deals. You know who aren't making a ton of money, and uh, Sergachev, whenever he does become a pro, would would fit that bill. So yeah, I don't know about that. You can text six thirty six thirty. The phone number seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. This texter says the Oilers should try to get Duchesne or Landeskog out of Colorado to solidify the second line. Clearly a uh, disastrous year for the Colorado Avalanche. Duchesne, 33 points in 49 games. Landeskog has only 23 points in 44 games. He's minus 17. Duchesne is minus 18. You wonder if, if somewhere down the road, whether it's this summer or before the deadline, if there is a change of scenery type trade for one or both of those members of the Avalanche. Um 
Now, Peter Shirelli said he's not going to get a rental player. Neither of those guys would qualify as rentals. Duchesne is signed until the end of 1819. Landeskog locked up until the end of 2021. Duchesne makes six a year. Landeskog makes 5.58. He is the captain of the team. Uh, Duchesne's an assistant. I mean, that would be a big deal if, if, if Nugent Hopkins or Eberle wound up going to Colorado for one of those guys. Um, I, again, do I, do I see it before the deadline? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Not so sure. I I, I think uh, I still think the Oilers are, are willing to see what this group can accomplish and to see if some of the guys who haven't been producing to par for the first two thirds of the season are able to pick it up a bit in the last third and in the playoffs. And, you know, still seven games to evaluate how the team is looking before the trade deadline. All right. It's 6.38. I've got an interesting story here. Adam Braidwood, the uh, former Edmonton Eskimo, a former first-round draft pick in the CFL draft, had a promising start to his CFL career, and then it kind of went to pieces for him. He got into some, he got into some trouble. He was uh, uh, pled guilty on a variety of charges, uh, assault, weapons charges, uh, confinement, Wound up going to jail, and now he's putting it back together, and he's launched into a boxing career, and he's going to fight for the World Boxing Union heavyweight title next Friday. And I'm pleased to welcome Adam Braidwood to the show. Adam, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing, Reed? Doing very well. It's great to catch up with you. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to us, and, and you got a big bout coming up next Friday. How are you feeling, man? How's the tra- training going? You, you peaking at the right time, like the, the old cliche goes? Yeah, you know, i got a really good team around me here at Zuma in Victoria. Uh, I'm really excited about this fight. Uh, it was a lot more volume. I actually had to take a month off of work for the first time and, uh, you know, really increased my training. I did increase my cardio, doing all kinds of different stuff, spin class, swimming, running, things like that, just to kind of, uh, you know, boost, boost my cardio and uh, get ready for this fight. How do you compare the, the preparation for for boxing as opposed to the preparation you put in for a football player i mean your boxing can be more spaced out whereas football in season you're going pretty much uh, every every week how, how is the preparation different i think uh with football uh i think the mental aspect of it is very similar i think uh, it's one of those things that you learn over time and uh, you figure out what works for you and you work on the techniques. As far as the physical part of it, they're they're totally different. Uh, football, you basically have to build your body up to be able to take a huge collision, huge impact. And uh, and you know, boxing, you you have to kind of learn to take impact, but you also have to learn to kind of roll with the impact. And it's the little subtle moves uh, that avoid. You don't want to like run into someone's punch, and uh, you know, try to absorb it that way. You want to be able to like move and flow with uh, the action that's going on. Do you do you miss do you miss football or does this still satisfy the the competitive craving and the uh, you know the physicality that you got in football? Uh, I think uh, this is uh, it definitely satisfies. There's things about football that I do miss. You know, I miss traveling with the guys every week. I, I, you know, I enjoy the training. Um, you know, Edmonton was a great city, a lot of good energy, and uh, you know, playing in front of you know thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand people is is, is a lot of fun. Adam Braidwood joining us inside sports on 630 Chet. Uh, Adam, you know, we appreciate that, that you're you're willing to tell your story a little bit tonight because obviously 
um, there were some challenges uh, in your life. You had some, obviously, legal uh, problems, and, and you were behind bars for a couple of years. Uh, you know, you went through some tough times and probably did some things you look back on and say, uh, and, and say, wow, I can't, can't believe that happened. What sort of got you on that path where, you know, you wound up doing some some kind of bad things, you know, because a lot of people would look and say, man, this guy had it all, top draft pick, great athlete, good football player. Uh, when you look back, how, how did you take a step and, and go down that, that path? Well, I think uh, it's easy to kind of point fingers and say it's this person's fault, that person's fault. You know, I think that I had some uh, unresolved issues in my life that I didn't know really how to deal with. And I think when I got injured, something that I'd never had to deal with, I think that uh, it kind of led me down a path that, uh, you know, I started uh, thinking incorrectly and I started to try to problem solve and shortcut and, and do all these types of things that I'd never really had to, to do. There are a lot of challenges that I had to face. And then the biggest problem is, is, you know, I got addicted to painkillers and that really affected my thinking. And, uh, you know, I, I made some bad decisions and it's, you know, like I said, there's there's no easy answer you know i did some bad stuff and uh you know it, it doesn't have like i didn't wake up one day i was like can't hey, i do this you know it just kind of slowly happened somebody asked you to do something you need to do something and uh you know it just kind of creeps up on you yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned the the, the painkiller uh, addiction, and you're not the only uh, athlete, ex or otherwise, to to deal with that. I mean, is is that something you would warn young football players or whatever about that there, there's going to be pain involved and you got to be careful? Definitely. Uh, you just you never know. Like I I was never really a huge drinker. I'd go out and you know have a few beers after the game or whatever, get drunk. But I was never like, okay, I got problems. I need to go drink to, to resolve them. Uh, and so you never really know what's going to affect you, what drug it's going to be, and, uh, you know, what's going to kind of grab hold of you. And so I would, you know, unless you really need it, and I think doctors and stuff are a lot more careful. Teams are a lot more aware of what's going on uh, with the drug situations. But, uh, you know, if you don't medically absolutely need it, don't take it. You know, like, just learn to deal with it in a healthy way. You know, I got lots of injuries. I got lots of pain. I train full-time. I figure out ways to manage it, and you don't need it. It's it's a crutch, and, you know, just if if you have to take it every day or if you need it, you know, find a different career. Yeah, well, yeah, good good point. Um, I, I mean, we're gonna, I want to talk about your transition into boxing here and stuff, but so you so yeah you know you have the trouble you said it yourself you did you did some bad things it kind of built up gradually and it sounded like you know you fell in with some uh maybe some of the wrong people as well what let me put it this way what what snapped you out of it did it take the severity of of being arrested and, and having a trial or uh you know did somebody help you out of it what what sort of put you back on a better better path and a better frame of mind no, I'd say prison. I'd say all that stuff. Uh, it actually made me worse. You know, I kind of, you know, when I went in there, I was like, hey, I'm going to just go this way, I guess. Like, I'm pretty much screwed now. And so, you know, like, I didn't really see any other option. I didn't really have any hope. And that took, like, a long time. A lot of people came and visited me. A lot of people showed support. But even then, you know, it took me getting out and then kind of going to the gym, getting back into it. It was, like, a long, long, tedious journey to really, like, get back to where I needed to be you know it wasn't one thing it was you know it was a collective group of like my family and my friends you know people who cared about me like constantly supporting me and then like you know I faced a lot of different stuff out here since I, I got out here and got paroled and 
and uh, it, it was a number of different things, and I just had to keep pushing forward, and, uh, and that's what it is. It's you know, it's years of work because I see a million guys that get out, they say this, they say that, they have a bunch of like, you know, it's just all talk, right? It's like, what are you going to do? Like, I go to work every day. I get up at five thirty in the morning. I go to a construction site. I go grind it out, do what I got to do. I go get cleaned up. I go to the gym every day. No excuses. Six days a week, and that's just the way it is. That's how I keep myself busy. And that's what I have to do, you know, to stay focused. Because it's like, you know, like nobody's going to treat me normally for the rest of my life. You know, like no one will ever be like, oh, it's just some normal guy. So I have to do these things. I have to do these big things so people will just treat me normally. Like I lost that luxury. I threw that away a long time ago. So it's like, you know, like it's a, it's, it's a motivating factor to stay on the straight and narrow because there's, there's only two ways I can go, man. I can go back to that way or I can, you know, move forward and try to, you know, do some good things. Well, Adam, it sounds like you're very honest with yourself and, and everybody who's listening tonight. And it almost sounds to me like you have to work on your self-image and, and you have to work on almost giving yourself a new label. Is, is, that, is that a fair way to put it? Uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't really technically look at it like that. I think, like, a lot of people can identify. Like, I get a lot of people, they reach out to me on social media. I go at uh, com. Like, I'll post stuff little here and there just about, you know, sober living. And people are like, well, wait a minute, you're sober living. Like, you're this athlete. They don't know any of my story. They just see my pictures. And they'll kind of send me a message and be like, hey, like, what's your deal, right? And they'll say, well, I got problems too. And so, you know, if people can kind of get something out of that, you know, I think that's good. I'm not trying to, like, look for a new image. I don't want people to be like, hey, man, this guy turned his life around. Give this guy a pat on the back. Bottom line is, you know, like, I made bad choices. I did bad things. And now I'm doing what I have to do to survive. And that's just the way it is. You know, like, it's, I'm not looking for any accommodations or anybody to, you know, say, great job, like, you're this great person, you know, it's like, I did bad stuff, anybody can do that, you know, it's what you got to kind of do after that's important, right, so. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you sound obviously very focused and, and, and very committed, which is cool, and, and you're fighting for a belt next Friday, right, I mean, this is a big deal. Yeah, this is a sanctioned belt, a world sanctioned belt, WBU, 12 rounds, uh, guys like George Foreman had this belt in the past. And, uh, you know, this is way above anything that I've ever fought for. And, uh, you know, I like the challenge, though. You know, when I got asked, I wasn't like, oh, I don't know if I can go 12 rounds. I was like, hey, coach, like, you know, what do we got to do? You know, I asked Adam Zuchek, I was like, what do we got to do? You know, I, talk, I called Mark Pavlich, I called my manager, I called my team, and I'm like, hey, you think we can beat this guy? And they're all like, yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm going to beat this guy, right? And, uh, you know, I'm really lucky. I got a good support staff. You know, I work with Mark Pavlich, Ken Franzig. Uh, out there in Edmonton, you know, I got great promotion out there. KO Boxing gets me lots of fights. I stay busy, and, uh, you know, I think this is a big challenge, but I'll, I'll definitely be ready for it. You know, Adam, I, I often ask this, um, and I think you'll have an interesting perspective, and it's it's a maybe it's a bit of a hokey question, but I, a lot of times I get a really great, thoughtful answer from people. What would you say to, a, to an athlete, you know, maybe in his or her teens who might have a chance to play university sports either in Canada or the United States or, or go pro in something whether it's football, hockey, boxing whatever, golf, whatever, whatever yeah. what, what's a kernel of advice you would give them as you know they go into adulthood and are going to face challenges uh, on and off the field or in and out of the ring uh, don't let anybody tell you you can't do it ever and uh, you know like there's, there's obviously there's a lot of sacrifice and there's a lot involved in becoming a, a high level athlete but if that's something that you really want to do, you know, never quit, you know, just stay focused. And, you know, like a lot of people told me I would never play college football. And a lot of people told me I'd never play pro football. Everybody's like, why are you boxing? And now all of a sudden I'm fighting for a world title. 
you know, like it's it's just one of those things, man. Like it's you put in the work, you do the time, and you know you can do whatever you want. And that's just the way it is. Have you been able to maintain uh, relationships with, uh, with with former teammates, or or was that was that difficult given what you went went through? Uh, not really. Uh, a lot of people reach out to me, man. A lot of people call me. A lot of coaches. A lot of people wrote letters for me. Um, you know, like football is a brotherhood, and I still talk to a lot of guys. Like I said, on social media and stuff, and it's. I've actually got a chance uh, to talk to a lot of guys that I played against that we didn't even get along, and then we end up going out for dinner, and they're like, "You're all right, man. Like you're a good guy. We thought you were a dick." And I was like, "I thought you were a dick too, man." And like, you know, I was like, <laughs> "But you know, we actually end up getting along pretty good." And people are support. I think you know, deep down, people want to see other people do good. They don't want to see, you know, what ha- what I did, like what to happen to other people. I'm sure you know, there's a lot of haters out there. People are like, "Ha ha, I told you so. He's a bad guy. This that." But you know, realistically, deep down, most people want to see you do good things, right? So yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, it, you're I, again. I appreciate your honesty, and, and and I think you know you're you're a bit of a lesson here in resilience and being able to bounce back and 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 commitment and all that kind of stuff. I should ask before I let you go. Uh, you still watching a lot of CFL? And, and if so, uh, <laughs> anybody you really enjoy watching play these days? I like Riley. I actually played with Riley for one year. He was at Washington State, and he was like. He was a young little kid then, man, a little walk-on. And then all of a sudden I saw, I was like, he always with the Lions, always with the Eskimos, you know, that's my guy, right? So, you know, I, I, I wish the best for anybody that I played with, played against, you know, especially out of college that, uh, you know, that's doing well. But, uh, you know, I'm always going to be an Edmonton fan. I cheer for Edmonton, and, uh, you know, I want to see a lot more great cups out there. Well, I think I think a lot of people you're you're preaching to the choir in that one for sure. Uh, Adam, Adam, thank you so much for your time. Uh, really appreciate uh, how candid you were in this interview. And uh, yeah, all the best in the final week of training. And and uh, go get them on the twenty fourth, man. No problem, man. Thank you. That is Adam Braidwood, former Edmonton Eskimo. He has uh, been through a lot over the last 10 years, and I'm not saying that he deserves any sympathy for that because, as he was uh, clear, a lot of those were were uh, self-inflicted through choices that, that he didn't make, uh, make the proper choice at the time, but uh, he also recognized it. And he said, I thought that was really interesting, that when he was in prison, he said his attitude actually got worse, and he started to say, well, I guess this is, this is who I am. Um, but he's but he's trying to turn it around. He mentioned he works construction, trains, and he's boxing for a heavyweight title belt in the WBU next Friday. So that'll be an interesting story to follow. You can text 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chat. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. All right, rolling along, Ed Hervey, Mark Antoine Godin, Adam Braidwood. Our interviews so far, Kevin Carius is uh, coming up. We will talk about a lot with Kevin. He's heading over from the Global Television Studios, including the suspension today for Red Wings forward Gustav Nyquist for that vicious high stick against Minnesota's Jared Spurgeon on the weekend. And it is a uh, grand total of six games as we all continue. Well, I guess I shouldn't speak for for everybody. As I continue to scratch my head at the uh, discipline decisions made by the NHL Department of Player Safety because they don't actually seem too worried about players' safety if they're only going to give an incident like that 
six games. Interesting as well, Antoine Vermette slashed linesman Shandor Alfonso last night. Uh, now, for the moment, it's an automatic 10-game suspension, but they're going to have uh, more discussion on that uh, tomorrow. You're welcome to participate by texting 630-630, the phone number 780-496-0063. Quick update, 4-1, Columbus leading Toronto after two. Now after one, the Blues lead the Red Wings 1-0. Still to come, the Panthers and the Sharks. By the way, Yarmir Yager, 45th birthday today, ready to go against San Jose, and the Flyers will take on the Flames. Oilers tomorrow against Philly, right here on 6.30. Jet 5.30 for the face-off show. Game starts at 7. Oilers finally breaking out last night. Five goals in uh, less than 24 minutes against Arizona to completely take control of that game. We got the 7 o'clock news coming up. Get the latest on the Eskimos on 630Ched.com. They did sign defensive end Philip Hunt today. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.